encouraging word, and the title of today's message is Good News. How many of you guys like good news? Well, uh, I got good news for you, and you've got good news to share. We have the, the good news in us, and one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is when I, when I uh, have conversations with people uh, in church and outside of church, uh, you know, one of the things I find uh, kind of challenging is our concept of God. And we're in this society where we grow up and everything in our world is about a measuring stick. You know, I remember school, uh, at the very earliest, you know, there's competitions, you're trying to get a certain score, if you're in sports, you're trying to win. I, I grew up in the era where there's only one trophy, you know, anybody else remember those days? And if you got second place, you didn't feel too good about it, okay? I mean, because those kids walked away with the trophy, you didn't. And I grew up, and many of us still, we see this all over our society, where there's just a measuring stick in the way that we, we do things. And, and then that gets translated to our faith with God. And so, so many people struggle with this idea of what I would consider a preoccupation with, with sin. It's a preoccupational preoccupied view of measuring their life according to sin and how they're measuring up. Am I sinning a lot or sinning a little? How am I doing on the scorecard of heaven? And, and, I, I, and I would have to say that many in this room right here this morning are still struggling with that because that's how the way we've been trained. And uh, I got good news for you. Uh, that's not how heaven does it, Okay. Uh, there are, every one of us can win in God's, in God's uh, way of salvation. So I want to share with you, something I was, I was meditating on was John chapter 3 this week, and I shared this with some people earlier this week, but I want to repeat what I was sharing, and it's John chapter 3, and the most famous, I think, passage of Scripture that people are familiar with is John three sixteen, And some of you know it, right? And you probably didn't even try to know it, but you just know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it goes on. Jesus is the one who's talking, though. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to a guy named Nicodemus. He's a very smart guy. He is one of the scholars and the teachers. He would be like a pastor or a priest today. He would be one of the spiritual leaders of, of his you know, generation. And he was talking to Nicodemus, trying to explain to him that he had to be born again. And, he's, and Nicodemus, like you and I, the first time you'd ever hear kind of that, that phrase, you might say, what do you mean, be born again? What does that mean? Do you have to climb back into your mom? And like, what is this weird, what are you saying? You know, the images I'm getting are not uh, very comfortable in my brain here, you know. And she's like, no, no, no. You know, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And you were born into the flesh, but now you need to be born into the spirit. And the only one who can give birth to a spirit is a spirit, and God is spirit, and we are created in his image, and you need to be born again of the spirit. And so Jesus is trying to explain this to Nicodemus, and he goes on to say this to him, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So Jesus is referring to a story in Numbers in the Old Testament which Nicodemus, being a pastor, teacher, you know, all that kind of thing, would have known the story. So Jesus didn't have to tell the whole story. He's just referencing it. He says, you know, Nicodemus, that story about Moses 
lifting up a serpent in the wilderness. Well, if you don't know the story, what happened was the Israelites were in the desert, and they were complaining, and they were grumbling against Moses and against God. And uh, so God sent some venomous snakes, and they were all bitten by these venomous snakes, and people started dying because they were poisoned. And the people cried out, saying, oh, we've been wrong. We've, we've rebelled. We've, please, Moses, do something. Help us. Talk to God. You know, we're dying here. And, and some of the people that are screaming the loudest were the ones with the fang marks in their forearm that were still alive. Help! Do something, because people were dropping dead. So Moses turned to God and interceded on, on the behalf of the people, kind of like Jesus has interceded for you and for me, okay? And, and God said, make a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole, and everyone who looks to the serpent will live. Everybody say live. Okay? Everybody who looks to the serpent will live. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, it's just like that, Nicodemus. The condition of the human race is just like those people who were bit by venomous snakes and they are ready to die. You and I, we were grown into or birthed into fallen flesh. We were infected with a sin disease that causes death. Jesus says we are all in this state right now where we are desperate and some of us don't know it, but we are, we are in trouble. There's no solution. There's no remedy that mankind can come up with for this disease called sin, and it kills. It kills everyone. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus says, just like those people, you know, they knew that their death was imminent without an intervention from God, so this generation and, and those following must understand that the death is imminent to you and to me. Spiritual death, eternal damnation, apart from God intervening and saving us. And making a remedy for our sin condition. You, you follow me so far? So Jesus says it's just like that. So just like the serpent was raised in the, in, on a pole in the wilderness, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, must be lifted up that everyone who believes, everybody say believe. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And so here's how I see it. This is, I'm getting to kind of my perspective of God and people. Some people see God as, well, they see sin as this. Sin is bad, and it makes God mad. If I could just summarize it. Sin's bad, makes God mad. I better toe the line, or I'm in trouble, right? And when I sin, you know, I'm going to pay. God's going to make me pay because it makes him mad, because it's wrong, and I misbehaved again. And it's this whole idea of that's how things work. And I'm here to tell you that's not how things work. But that is how most, most people view God and view themselves in that kind of a framework. Like if I don't please God, I'm toast. No, here's the truth. You're toast already. <laughs> this is what Jesus was teaching. He's like, just like those people were, were in big trouble until God intervened, you're in big trouble right now. You are dead you're dead spiritually. You are disconnected from God. You were born under Adam, and Adam fell, and Adam and Eve entered into sin, and their relationship with God was broken. It was severed. So here's the deal. God has not come, and Jesus says over and over again, I didn't come to beat you up, to make you toe the line, to give you a religion, to give you a bunch of rules, to show you you better do this or else. We already know that. We already had that mindset. 
we already lived under that covenant for thousands of years. The old covenant. You better or else. Jesus says, I have good news. Good news for you that I am just like that serpent. If you will believe in me, trust in me, you will live. You will live. You're already perishing. But God intervenes for us through the Son of, Son of God, Jesus, to rescue us. So listen to the next verse, John 3, 17. This is awesome. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Why? Because the world is already condemned. Who condemned the world? Sin. Sin. Death. Infected human, the human race. God does not want to kill or destroy. That's what our enemy does. He wants to kill and destroy. God wants to what? Save. So Jesus says God didn't send his son, he's talking about himself, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All right, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, but whoever does not believe in God's one and only son stands condemned already because he hasn't believed in him. He hasn't looked to him. He hasn't trusted in him. So the good news is this. God has come to save and rescue. He didn't come to slap the scale on us, the measuring stick, and see if we make it. You know, if you're at, you know, remember those old cedar points and all that stuff when you're little, you're growing up. Oh, I hope I'm tall enough. I hope I'm tall enough. Well, there's a spiritual idea too that there's some kind of a measuring rod or something and you're like stepping up to God. You're like, oh, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I make it. Get up on the tiptoes, you know. No, you can't be good enough. And here's the good news I want to share with you. God isn't a God of second chances. You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like good news to me. He's not a God of second chances. Let me explain. How many of you would like to have a second chance at being good enough before God? How about a third chance? A fourth chance? How many chances do you need? That's not good news because we can't do it. This is the good news. You don't need another chance. Jesus has already caused you to be a winner in him. You don't have to do it. God came to do it for you. He met that righteous standard for you and for me. And so that's the good news. And I, I want to hammer this into our family because when we interact with other people, this is the predominant mindset that I run into with, with others. This is how they view themselves. Not good enough. God's mad at me. I failed. Sin's bad. Uh, I'm, I'm not worthy. Uh, I'm not measured up yet. Maybe someday I'll be good enough. Maybe someday I'll be good enough for God. Maybe someday I'll get my act together. Then I can come to church, and then I can try this Christian thing. But right now, no way. I'm not, I mean, I don't measure up. And if you and I are the church, and we've been sent with good news, we need to make sure our news is good news. Because our, our, our message is not, well, keep trying harder. Come on. And you, if you, need to, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And you need to do this too. And then you'll, you'll get it together. No. No. That's not the good news. Here's the good news. You ready? Jesus. Jesus. His name alone, one word, his name, means the Lord saves. Yahushua, Jesus in Hebrew. Jesus, the Lord saves. That is the good news. It's Jesus and Time and time again, and I was reading through 
the, the, the Gospel of John this week. Time and time again, Jesus is inviting people to himself. Himself, not religion. He didn't come to establish a religion. He didn't come to teach a religion. He didn't come to, you know, the, the five ways to do this and the three things you should not do and that this is how you get better at this. He said, come to me. And he started using these analogies like, I am the light of the world. And I have entered into this darkness. We sang a song about that, the light of heaven. So he's the light. And that means a lot to me if you think about it. If you think about it, it'll mean a lot to you. He's the light. You can see with him. He will direct you. There's darkness outside of him, but inside of him there's light, there's clarity, there's purpose, there's direction. He said things like, I am the gate to heaven. No one gets to the Father except through me, but I have made a way to get to the Father, to have a relationship, to have your sins forgiven. I am the way, I am the truth, I am life, the life. And so, man, these things I've, I've memorized, that was the first verse I ever memorized when I was a kid, way back when I was little, it was John 10.10. 10. And then John 14.6 was another one. Those two, I remember that I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you think about that, what, where, where, where do you do? Jesus said, I'm the way. Well, how do I know what to do? I'm the truth. How do I, how do I feel fulfilled? I'm the life. Now, here's what I'm saying. And, and I want to stress this as, as best I can. It's so simple, but it's so important that we know Jesus. That we have a relationship with him. That he is the essence that we crave. He said, I am the living water. And anyone who drinks of me will never thirst again. Okay, so how do you, if you're thirsty, if your soul is unsatisfied, if you're restless, if you're, if you're not satisfied with life, what is the answer? You know, a new spouse, a new job, a new, a, a new home, a new car, a new activity, a new career? No, no, that's not the answer. It actually is Jesus. Drawing to Jesus, going to him, he will satisfy your soul. He says, I'm the bread of heaven. I will feed you. You will never hunger again if you rely on me. If you drink of me, eat of me, follow me, uh, I will satisfy your soul. So what, are, what is he saying? He's saying time and time again, me, it's me, it's me. Come to me. Actually know me. Be with me. Draw on me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with, with me, your life will be fruitful and it'll be full. And so I want to challenge all of us. Jesus put it this way to some religious leaders of his day. And it was in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what, I'm going to say some things that I normally wouldn't say because I wouldn't want you to get the wrong idea. Coming to church, okay, is not the point. Although I want you to come to church. Okay, I mean, you know what I'm saying. But coming to, like, oh, honey, we did it. We got out of bed. We went to church. We checked the box. We did it. Yeah. Okay, check. Reading the Bible is not the point. And uh, we've been challenging each other to memorize a verse uh, every week. And, uh, and we have a verse this week, a memory verse, in Romans. 
and memorizing the verse is, that's not the point. And so, okay, I went to church. I even gave this morning. Wow, I tithed or I gave a gift. I signed up. I served at the sports and arts camp. I read my Bible twice this week. You know, I memorized the verse. Who cares? That's not the point. Now, I care because it, 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 it really is good if you have the right orientation, okay? <laughs> so like I said, I'm not gonna, I don't normally say these things. This is what I'm trying to get everybody to do, but with the right orientation, with the right motive, out of the right relationship with God. But what happens is Jesus says, even you studying and digesting the scriptures, if you don't understand, it's all about helping you come to me, to know me, to have a relationship with me. All the scriptures, all the church services, all the giving, all the serving, all the, you know, all the Bible studies, all the fellowship, all the events, it's about helping us know him. To know him, to hear him, to be engaged in this relationship with him, with Jesus. Do you know him? Okay, because Jesus did not invent this religion. He just said, come to me. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're heavy burdened, come to me. I'm gentle. You'll find rest for your souls, for your soul. You'll find that satisfying element that's been missing. It's in knowing him and being in this relationship with him. Come to me. Come to me. You know, all of our practices of faith can either be viewed in one of two ways. And last week, how many of you were here and enjoyed Josh uh, McDonald's message? Wasn't that great about just the presence of God and creating capacity for more of him in our lives? And it wasn't about a works-based faith. And that's what I want to reaffirm to you today. He talked about an orphan versus a son mindset, right? And, and I, I see the same thing with religion versus relationship mindset. To me, it's the same thing. For me, religion says, what do I need to do? Relationship says, what do, what do I get to do because of my, my love for God, my relationship with him? It's like in marriage, sometimes you, you may think, here's what I have to do. But you don't want your marriage to be operating that way. You want your marriage to be, we get to do this. I get to love this. I, we're together in this. This is an overflow of a relationship, not a duty. This is a delight, you know, this is part of who we are and, and what, we, what we experience together. And for our relationship with God, it's the same thing, that we could be doing things because we're still thinking about, am I measuring up? Or if we have a relationship with Christ, it's real, and his love is filling our hearts. It's a completely different orientation to how we do things. Instead, it's like, he loves me. I'm his I want to be more like him. My love then begins to be my motive, my love for God, not out of an obligation like over here, oh, first commandment, I have to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do I do that? I have to do this thing. I have to do this thing. You hear what I'm saying? But over here, when God loves you and you're, you're in this relationship with him and you begin to grow in that walk, over here you're like, how can I? Love the Lord my God with even more of my heart and soul and mind. It's a totally different approach. I used to read the Bible religiously, and now I read it relationally. I used to read it because I knew I needed to do it. I better do it. 
I got to get this stuff down. Has anybody ever felt that before? Sometimes we go to church like that. I have to go to church. Why? Well, be- because, you know, I, have, I mean, I have, to, I have to do that. That's what I should do. Um, and so it's, it's coming out of the wrong orientation or the wrong understanding of who God is. And so our memory verse today is uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, but I want to read 16 too. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. The gospel, the good news, is the power of God to when someone hears the good news about God's love and God's forgiveness and Jesus coming to save, that when they hear that, if they choose to believe, they will be saved. Now, the idea of believe, though, in the scriptures and as Jesus is teaching, you'll see that it's not just um, a mind thing where, okay, I believe two plus two is four. Okay, yes, I believe it. I'm going to repeat that the rest of my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you. Okay, two plus two is four. I got it. I believe it. I believe that the earth is round. Yes, okay, show me the pictures, astronauts, testimony. Okay, I believe that. I believe. No, no, no. That's not what this is about. Believe in the scripture is a relational word. It's, I, I could use other words like this. Uh, everyone who trusts in, in, in Christ will be saved. Everyone who follows, has a relationship, who is continually walking in fellowship with him will be saved. It's not just check the box. This is a relationship. This is a person who is living their life with faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, and they're following him. That's what believe means. You see what I'm saying? And so the Bible says that the gospel offers the opportunity for you and for me, if we truly understand that God loves us, for us to have this relationship with God where we trust in him, not ourselves anymore, and we're set free, and we have this love relationship with God. But the second verse says this. I love this verse. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that has come from God is revealed. Righteousness means for you to be right before God, have your sins forgiven. The Bible says, Paul says, in the gospel, there is a righteousness from God that's revealed, and this righteousness is by works. <laughs> no. By faith. Up until that time, everybody thought there was a righteousness by works. And Paul says the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is now a righteousness from God himself that is only by faith. And it starts, it's first and last. It starts with faith, and after you declare your faith in Christ, now you got to get busy and get to work. No. It's from first to last, faith. It starts in faith. It's maintained by faith. It ends with faith. You don't start to get busy and get to work. That happens automatically out of the relationship of faith that you have in Christ as Lord and Savior. He propels us. He moves upon our heart. He changes us and transforms us. So it says, so just as it is written, I think in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, Now, this verse really kind of means this. There's a righteousness that comes by faith that will produce life in you. That's kind of what it really means. 
There's a righteousness by faith that causes you to be alive. It's looking at the serpent on the pole, and Moses said, God said, everybody who looks to that serpent on the pole will live. And Jesus said, everybody who looks to the Son of God, believes in the Son of God, trusts in the Son of God, who also will be lifted up on a pole for all to see on, Mount, you know, on the mountain, on the cross. Everybody who looks to him in faith and believes in him will live, will have eternal life, will not perish, but will live. And God is always about life. He's always about life. And so we are on that search and rescue mission with him. And so I'm excited that I'm a person of faith. How about you? Come on. Now, I wanted to share something else I was thinking about because I come from such a religious mindset that it's taken me a long time to, like, rework my brain on this. But I was thinking about um, something here today, and I've shared this in the past, but I do not apologize for sharing it again. All right. In the Bible, there is, you know, the original language in the Old Testament is Hebrew. And I've talked about this two-letter word before. But this two-letter word, uh, this is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's called Aleph. And this is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet called Tav. Okay, so Aleph Tav. That's what this is. And from Hebrew, we read words from right to left. So it's Aleph Tav. And the first time that you see this little word is in the first sentence in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. And it's not translated from Hebrew into English. It's not translatable at all. People didn't know how to translate this word. Isn't that weird? It's just it's, it's, it's mystery. And so in Hebrew, in the first sentence of the Bible, there's seven words. When it's translated into English, it turns into ten words. And the Hebrew scholars back in the day used to say anytime anybody translates Hebrew into another language, they lie. Because you can't. It's God's language, and it's just so rich, and it has so many layers of meaning and depth. So I want to share just a little bit of that with you just for a moment. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ten words. In Hebrew, it's barishit, bara, elohim, et, that word there, hashemayim, ve'et, ha'aretz. Seven words. So in the beginning, barishit, bara, he created, elohim, they, God. So they, God, created and then it goes into the last four words. The next word is this right here. In the beginning, God created whatever that is. Then the next word is heavens, Hashemayim. Then the next word is this word again with an extra syllable. And it would be, it would look like this. One extra letter. So this is the same right here. And here's an extra letter. And that too is not translated. And then the last word is uh, Haaretz, which is the earth. Okay, so this is pretty cool. Aleph Tav, first and last letter. In the uh, Revelation, Jesus is talking. In our Bible, it's translated from Greek into English because the New Testament was written in Greek. You guys with me? So Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. 
And so we read these words, Alpha and Omega, which is the Greek language, but Jesus, when he was speaking, he would not have spoken Greek. <clears throat> he would have said Hebrew or Aramaic. And he, not, he would not have said, I am the Alpha and Omega. He would say, I am the Aleph Tav. So here we go. This is where I'm getting at. This is who? Jesus. Remember, anytime pastor asks a question in church, just say Jesus. So we had, <laughs> we had someone, we dropped off my son and, and Seth and uh, Cannon to spiritual warfare camp a couple weeks ago. Me and my wife are spying on and watch him get tortured. I mean, uh, um, orientated camp. <coughs> and the drill, one of the drill sergeants has got him lined up, and they're kind of like, hey, no, 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 no. and they're asking these questions. And one of the kids, he asked this question, who's a deceiver? And the kids are all rattled. You know, they're nervous. They're trying to answer really quick because if they don't answer quick, they get in trouble. If they answer, you know, whatever. So one of the kids, the drill sergeants, who's the deceiver? And one of the kids says, Jesus, <laughs> from our church. God, I said, God. And, I, and my wife turned to me and said, that's your fault. She hit me on the shoulder. <laughs> and the drill sergeant's like, no, no, God's not the deceiver. Drop, give me some push-ups. Who said, you know, who said that? And he hits him with a water pistol, just soaks him. <laughs> and she's like, that's your fault. You always tell people, always say, always say Jesus. <laughs> so I got in trouble at spiritual warfare camp too. But that was pretty fun. Watch. But this one is, this is Jesus. Now, so it goes, in the beginning, God created Jesus, Aleph Tav, or the language, the Hebrew language, or the Word, the Word. In the beginning, God created the Word, the heavens, the earth. The Word, the heavens, and the earth. This is Jesus the first thing God created was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. Yeah. All right. And then we go to John chapter 1. So we're Genesis 1. Now we go to John 1. I love this. Just watch this. In the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Actually, it was Bereshit, bara Elohim, God, Aleph Tav, Word. The Word was with God. Can't get any closer than that. Fourth word in the Bible is the Word. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then verse 14, the Word, right here, became flesh, human, and made His dwelling among us. Can you imagine this? We have seen his glory. John saw him, touched him, ate fish with him, leaned his head on this guy's shoulder. He says, I've seen his glory. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only, one and only, one and only son of God who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Isn't this amazing? The word of God actually took on flesh and blood, showed up among us, Jesus, and he showed us who God is. Everything about Jesus is about God. He said, the Father is in me. I'm in him. Don't you see? I'm the exact representation of my Father. I don't even say anything that the Father doesn't tell me to say. I don't even do anything 
that the Father doesn't show me to do. We are one. We are in unison. And one of the disciples is like, hey, Jesus, show us the Father. He's like, don't you understand? You are seeing him. It, he's in me. I'm in him. Everything I do, this is the revelation of God to us through Jesus. Jesus, a relationship. And everybody he interacted with, he was loving. He was compassionate. He was full of grace and full of truth. And people were attracted to him. And he was awesome. And people loved him. And the, the only ones who rejected him were the arrogant, self-sufficient religious people. Do you see what I'm saying? The people that thought that they were doing pretty good on the measuring stick. They didn't want to give up that. They didn't want to have to surrender and be like everybody else, needy and dependent upon a Savior. I'm doing pretty good. I got the standard, and I'm getting an A. And I, I, I like my independence and my power, right? And that's, that's the same for every single one of us. We have to come to that conclusion at some point in our life that actually we can't make it, we weren't made to make it, we are made to depend and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so Jesus shows up, and, and it says this in Colossians chapter 1. So Genesis 1, John 1, how about Colossians 1? This is a, it just blows my mind away. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In the beginning, God created. He's the firstborn of all creation, Firstborn, right there, the olive top, the word. For by him, all things were created. How did God create things? God spoke, what? The word, and through the word, all things were created. Okay? For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, guys, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He wasn't blowing smoke. Everything in us is held together because of him right now. He is the word made flesh. And everything he said is true. Every promise that he made is going to happen. You cannot have a stronger anchor in your life than trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior. you got the creator of the universe with you and for you. And people came to him, and he would often say things like this, I didn't come to judge, I came to save. I didn't come for the, 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 the righteous, I came for those who knew they needed a Savior. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for those who are sick. I came to heal, rescue, save, deliver. I came to bring life and life to the full. Can you get excited about that? Is this good news or what? I hated English in high school. Got my worst grade in school from English. Then I went to college. I hated it even more. I was the last, last uh, alphabet you know, grouping of freshmen to register for classes my freshman year. I had no idea what that meant until school started. What that meant was all the fun, cool professors were already taken, okay? And as a freshman, I had to take this English class, and there's only one English class left, and it was Miss Wardolph. And the first day of class, we sit down, and I had heard some rumors about this, this professor. And she says, 
Some of you probably heard some rumors about me that I'm tough and I'm mean and, and my class is the hardest one in the English department. And she said, they're all true. And I'm like, oh. And just like, like a, a dark cloud just like filled everybody's hearts. Where am I going with this? No idea. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, I got it. I'm starting to come back. What? Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus, yes. So I remember in, a, in English, what they used to do is like, I remember, I'm a math guy, okay? It's right or it's wrong. It's like, that's the answer. In English, I've never understood it. How is my paper only a 78 and that girl's over there is a 97? What? How? I don't get it. So they had these rubrics, right? And they would say, well, we're looking for things. I'm like, just tell me what you're looking for, you know. And so some teachers use rubrics. They use this, this thing. And, you know, maybe it's uh, creativity, maybe it's grammar, maybe it's whatever, sentence structure or whatever. And they, they filter everything through that, and then they give you a grade. And, and, I, and that, that's always bothered me. And with, with Christ, there is no rubric. There is either faith, right, or there's no faith. You either surrender and you are made righteous in God, or you, you're still running your own show. It's zero or it's 100 with God. That's why we all have that choice to make as they did in the desert. And if you're bitten by a venomous snake and someone says, look, look to that pole and you'll live. No. Not going to do it. How dare you tell me what to do? You just won't look up. Oh, I'm not even going to look up. Okay, but you're dying. Well, I'm just not going to do what you tell me to do because nobody tells me what to do. Okay? Some people assign judgment from God that's coming from your, your sin. It's your sin. God did not come to judge you. He did not c come to condemn you. He does not send people to hell. This is not what God does. The Bible says God is life. He's all about life and freedom and wholeness. And he has come to rescue us. He's come to, it's like someone who jumps ship and they're in the ocean, you know, and you, and you throw them a life, you know, preserver inner tube thing or something. I'm like, no, I got this on my own, you know. Now, here's what I want to share with you, okay. This is a scripture that really touched my heart this week, and I'll close with this perspective, okay? Sometimes we can get frustrated. Sometimes we can, we can try to be reaching people, sharing good news, and we get frustrated with people. Uh, but don't get frustrated, but don't give up. And have the perspective of Jesus. And sometimes we can condemn people because we get mad at them or frustrated with them or we just think they're just, you know, but they're just, they just need love, and the grace of God to touch their hearts. It's not an argument that will win their soul. It is the presence of God that will win their soul. So the person who's jumped off overboard and you throw the life preserver and they reject it, don't throw them a brick. You know, and just sink them. Never give up. Because God never gives up on you and on me. I love this verse. I really, honestly, never really noticed it until this week. 
John chapter 12, verse 47. Jesus actually says this, and he experienced a lot of this. Believe it or not, some people didn't trust in Jesus in the flesh. He says, as for the people who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. This is amazing. It's amazing. Just think about that. As for the person who hears my words and does not follow them, I do not judge them. I'm going to keep the door open for them. I didn't come to judge. I'm not even going to draw that line for them. I'm just going to keep proclaiming the good news. I didn't come to judge. I came to save. And at any moment, they could reach out and grab that that, uh, life preserver. At any moment, they could look up. At any moment, they could get tired. So what does that person need out in the ocean? They just need to swim a little bit longer. Until they get tired, until they get to the end of the rope, and that's what God did with me, he says, that's fine, I'll still be here though. The moment that you turn, what does God do? He runs to you and embraces you, right? The good father, right? Listen, there's lots of people out there I know that you've tried to reach out to, you try to love, you try to have patience with. Don't give up and do not judge them. Don't get frustrated, keep loving them. Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to save. He just kept proclaiming, and I want you to just keep proclaiming. Just keep proclaiming the good news. Those who reject you, just move on. Don't put a brick in their pocket, okay, and let them sink. Don't say, well, and then start gossiping about them or or get mad at them. But let's keep loving people like Jesus loves us. And the good news is this. If you're here this morning, and you, you're tired of trying to measure up. You're tired of that religious, you know, hamster wheel. I got great news for you. It, you don't have to run that race anymore. You don't have to do it that way anymore. Jesus came so that you would come to him. You would come to him, not a religion, and the other stuff takes care of itself. This is what I'm thinking about today. This is what I was thinking about this week. If Jesus is the word, he's the word. And Jesus has come to me. Is he telling you to come to me and then, then you're not going to begin to follow the word? Of course not. Isn't this profound? The word invites you to himself. If you have a relationship with the word of God, then he is going to infect you with life. And you're going to love the word. And you're going to be able to see it from a totally different perspective Because this is a person, and the word, Jesus, comes alive to you. And when you're spending time reading, you're spending time in a a service, you're spending time in prayer, you're doing these religious activities, but you're doing them because there's a relationship that you have from Jesus. The point of it all is that you know him more, you know him better. And so what I'm discovering is this is now a relationship time for me. And I'm trying to connect with God, not just learn something, not just memorize something, but to engage with someone. And Jesus coaches me, and he encourages me, and he talks to me through his spirit. And and I have life. I don't have condemnation. If you're reading this, 
and you're always feeling condemned, so you just shut the book. I don't want any more. I can't take any more of that. I just see again where I'm not measuring up. Then you need a whole orientation shift in how you view God because God loves you and you're forgiven. Okay, there's these things I, I memorized many years ago. This is what God says about our sin. Number one, you're forgiven. Number two, it's removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Number three, it's buried on the ocean floor. These are all different verses. Number four, God has scrubbed you clean. You are as white as snow. And number five, five of them, God has chosen to never remember your sins anymore. Wow. He doesn't even remember them. Who remembers them? You? Who else? Satan? Who else? Your wife. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, no. Listen. This is not this is not about my wife. She's an amazing person, but it's about your wife. No, I'm just now I'm really in trouble. No, no. No, no. I'm losing it. So the devil remembers, you remember, and some people around you remember. Okay? And here's what I want to, I want to exhort this family, and this is a, a strong finish here. It's kind of a strong finish, but I need to do this. Here's the deal. If you remember somebody else's sin, and you speak about it, or you hold them to that identity, which is a sin-preoccupied perspective, you are, and I'm not... I'm not trying to, you know, make you feel bad, but this is truth. If you're remembering someone else's sin and you're saying something about it and you're uh, holding them to that, that you're doing the devil's work because that is not what God does. Gossiping, slandering, talking evil about other people, you know, you're not possessed by the devil, but you're definitely partnering and, and, and pushing forward his agenda of destruction and hurt and harm to those people, okay? And if you're remembering your sin, get on the same page as God because it is not propelling you forward. It's holding you down. And the whispers that you hear and the memories that you have are not coming from the Holy Spirit. He's not whipping you into shape. Do you hear what I'm saying? God, Jesus himself, God showed up and he said, I did not come to judge. I came to save. I am here to take away the sin of the world. When you look at somebody who you would consider a sinner, you should be looking at someone that Jesus came to save, and you got good news for them. You shouldn't be afraid of their sin. You should be saying, there's good news for you, because every single one of us need Jesus. We need a Savior. We need him. But we don't just need forgiveness. We need the relationship. We need that life that he came to give us. And so I want to encourage us. We are the church. We've been talking about this for a month. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The, we are the hope of the world because it's the presence of God in you that this world needs. That's the only hope this world has. We are the jars of clay with a great, incredible treasure inside of us, the presence of God. We take the presence of God with us everywhere we go. But how we view people and how we view God is in, incredibly important on what is coming out of us. Are they feeling religion, condemnation, pressure, 
or are they feeling the presence and the love and the grace and the truth of God that sets them free? That's the good news. That's who you are. You are a herald of the good news. Paul put it this way. I'll finish with this verse. He says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. In other words, if you wanted to, you could look at me and you could just begin to list all the reasons why I'm not qualified to be up here. And if I look at you and we look at anybody else and put them under a spotlight, every one of us, we could just list, oh, the bad attitude, oh, they had this in their path, they did that wrong, and I don't like how they do this, and that's probably a bad habit, and da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And Paul says, we're not looking at each other that way anymore, guys, because now everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are made new. God has forgotten your sin. You have a new identity. You're no longer that person. Stop behaving that way. But God will help you stop behaving that way if you have a love relationship with him. He will help you. You can't help it. You will want to follow him and be like him. And he inspires you and fills you with love. And love is what sets you free. It's the truth of Jesus that sets you free, not the effort of man. Can I get an amen on that? You have a new identity, but so does the other person sitting next to you and across this room. And if I hold you in contempt for the sin of your past or for your bad attitude this last week or for something else, I'm I'm not looking at you the way Christ looks at you. Do you see what I'm saying? I need to pull the God part out of you and elevate that and say, I see Jesus in you. This is who you are. And we need to encourage each other daily. We don't discourage. We don't put down. We build up. We encourage. We remember who we are. We remind each other who we are. We pull the God part out of each and every one of us. And we're all still little kids. And as a little kid, you just need to know that you're doing okay. That someone believes in you. That you're doing a good job. And as parents, we do that for a while. But listen, we're all still little kids inside, right? We all still need to know, hey, this is who you are. I see this in you. You can do that. God's in you. All things are possible. He's changing you. He's making you more into his image. Come on. This is who we are. This is the good news. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Is Christ in you. I want to pray for us before we go and just have a great time celebrating and having fun as a family. But is Christ in you? Do you know him? And, uh, and my prayer today is that you walk out of this place knowing that you know him. And the Bible says everyone who believes will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who lo- looks to him and trusts in him, he will receive, he will forgive, and he will, be ma- and he will make a life. Today, you can be born again of the Spirit. If you're not sure where you stand before God, and you need Jesus, you're not sure where you are, you could be sure by making a decision and starting that relationship today. Would you bow your heads, please, right where you are? If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I want to make sure that I know him and that I have him as my Savior, and I choose today to surrender my life, my self-independence, 
to trust in him, to believe in him, that I might have life. I'm tired of running that religious race. I'm tired of trying to be good enough. Thank you for the good news. I believe in the good news, that God loves me. He paid for my sin, and that he has forgiven me as I choose to follow him. If that's you, you want to make sure that you're right with God, that you can begin this relationship with Jesus. I just want to lead you in a prayer. Before I do, I want to ask you just to lift your hand so that I can just celebrate your decision this morning. Just right where you are, if you're here and you need Jesus, lift your hand up really high, please, so I can pray with you, okay? Awesome. Thank you for lifting your hand. Anybody else? Okay, thank you. Thank you for those of you who lifted your hands. And now let's pray. Just pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I come to you. I don't come to a religion. I come to you. You made me. You created me to be with you forever. Thank you for coming to pay a debt I couldn't pay. To give your life for mine that I can be reunited in a relationship with you for all eternity. Thank you for loving me. Today I surrender to you as Lord. I'm not going to be in control anymore. I'm going to trust in you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I come to you. Now satisfy my soul. Fill me with your spirit. I look to you for everything from this day forward. Teach me about your love. Fill me with your love so I can truly love others and I can love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I want to just pray for us and we're going to be dismissed in just a second. Let me pray for you, Lord. It's so strong on my heart, Lord, that you want us all to just know you. I pray this week, Lord, for each one in this room to be able to have moments where you are just so real to each one of us. Lord, help us to set some time aside to put our mind on you, to look to you, our attention to you. And when we do, Lord, I pray that you reveal yourself even more to each one of us. God, we need you. We need you. Jesus, come alive to us. May each of us know you in increasing measure. Fill us, Lord, with your love. God, we need you. We need you. Move in our lives, Lord, and move in our world. Move through our lives, God. Help us to truly bear witness to the good news, to be accurate, Lord, in our faith, that it's all about you, this righteousness that's in the gospel, that it's from God by faith, and it's for everyone. Thank you, Lord, that I'm in everyone, that we're in everyone. And now, Lord, we ask your blessings on this day and this week. Lord, let us just continue forward in our growth, in our knowledge, in our experience of who you are, that you'd give us that wisdom, that spirit of wisdom and revelation more and more this week that we might know you better. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let me put the blessing on you before we are dismissed. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in his name. Amen.